Welcome to the Crave Magazine Podcast, feeding your soul with art. What is life if you don't have art? Give your art to the world because the world needs that. Embrace mentors. Look at the people who have already done what you've done. If you have enough discipline and enough focus, then you're able to achieve what you want to achieve. Sometimes you have to stand out to fit in. Okay, we are here with Linda Shutter, and we're doing things a little differently today. Linda is actually a businesswoman who is the founder and CEO of Circle of Hands Uganda. She has built this company to help women across the world, and where that is is Uganda. She works with women in Namu Gango in Uganda, and they create sustainable accessories, things like jewelry, handbags, and other home goods that they create by hand and export to Linda, who then sells them here in the United States. And it's a fabulous organization, it's a fabulous company, and Linda has learned a lot along the way and has some great lessons. So I'm really excited to have her on the show. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim, for having me today. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we start off every podcast with an inspiration, something to get things started. So. If you will, I want you to talk about somebody or something that inspires you, and it doesn't necessarily have to be artistically, but something that you draw inspiration from, whether it's a person, a thing, something that inspires you. It's a loaded question because there are a lot of things that inspire me, a lot of people, a lot of conversations I've had along the way. I guess I'd have to go back to where I had got the seed or the idea for this is with... Um, the nonprofit at a boulder called Educate with an exclamation point. Uh, Eric Glustrom is the founder of that, and um, I sat down with him and listened to why he's in high school, how he started this nonprofit of creating a leadership curriculum for Ugandan high schoolers um, that teaches them to go back to their communities and start self-sustaining initiatives and enterprises. And as a mother with two, of course, amazing children, because, you know. I sat there listening to this young 20-something kid and how he was changing this community at a fast pace. And I thought, well, this is the right way to do it, by empowering people on the ground, especially during that tender time of teenage years. And so he, his message spoke to me, and I wanted to become more involved with that process as a parent and to have more direct impact what was his message actually it was it really boils down to exponential empowerment um, what do you mean what does exponential empowerment mean when you educate let's say 10 people then they go out into their different communities and each of them impacts 10 more people whether you have 100 people and so on and so forth right and I thought that was brilliant. And it pretty much, everybody's doing that. Every person we speak to is impacted by what we say. Every teacher impacts every student who goes on to impact others. And it was just a brilliant concept to me. I'd never really thought about it. So I want to get into your story a little bit more about what you, how you got started specifically with Circle of Hands Uganda. But what I'm getting there is that like, you have your family and your kids, and so you, you saw that you were impacting, obviously, two people, but you wanted to impact, in this case, like 10 people, and have those 10 people impact 10 more people, et cetera, et cetera. Is that, is that right? So I started hearing about one of their star students. Her name was Lillian Ara Olak. She was in one of their first classes, and they teach the kids through a mentorship program. So she identified a community of women all affected by HIV AIDS in some way, all widows, um, and felt that their need would best be served by counseling, uh, teaching entrepreneurship and trade skills, and health education. And I so wanted to know the people that I was going to be helping on a personal basis, rather than being a cog in a wheel in a very large nonprofit. I knew that I didn't have the time to devote to a full-time job and so I reached out to this woman Lillian and became equally inspired by her vision 
which is, it was phenomenal t- for me to hear someone who grew up in a third world country have a vision for her community when so many people were just trying to get by and yet she had had her sights set on something bigger than herself. And I'm one person and there's so much need in the world. And I thought, well, if I can partner with this one person and help this one community, then they that's an exponential empowerment right there because every person who's a, a, impacted by Lillian and myself will then impact their communities and, and outward. So Lillian is from Uganda? Yes. She went through the Educate program. She went through the Educate program and you met her as yes. well? And yes. so then you partnered with her to develop what is now Circle of Hands Uganda? Yes. Tell I us. reached out to her through Skype. Okay. Um, that's how I first met her, quote unquote, met. And then eight months later, I went to Uganda and actually sat with her. And obviously, we never stopped talking from that point onward. And she calls us, we are sisters from two different mothers. Sure. And um, there's a simpatico between us and a lot of similarities, having lost parents at an early age. It, it's just, it was an amazing experience to me to go to a third world country. I had no idea what to expect. And all I saw was beauty in the people, in the colors in their clothing, uh, in their craft, in their hands. Um, and the soul, their, their souls are, they just, they bleed their souls. They're in their eye. It, you can see it when you look at them and their smiles and their eyes. And then sitting down and talking with her, someone who grew up on another planet from my, where I grew up in New York City and hearing her, her struggles and that she's a single mother and, and an orphan and uh, went back to high school when she was 20 and convinced her school that she needed to stay in school and needed help with her school fees. And then she convinced them that she wanted to be part of the Educate program, even though she was in her last year of high school and it was a two-year program. But she promised them that she would stay in that program after high school, and she did. And then she went on to the university and she worked and she made her way through university against all sorts of odds. Do you know statistically how many women in Uganda typically go to college? Ooh, that's a really good question. I used to know this. Was it like one in a hundred or one in a thousand? Women? I don't think I can answer that particular question. That's a good question. But it's not a lot, right? There's no... Women, women in small villages don't typically go on to higher education. They don't go on to any education. They don't even have like equivalent to high school. They're not a valued member of society, okay. women. Okay. They're belittled. They're pushed aside. They're lucky if they get any education at all. Um, mo- most don't graduate high school because they need to drop out and help support their families or they become pregnant or you know they lose their parents and they have to take care of their five or six younger brothers and sisters because the average uh, birth rate is six per woman Um, women are just not valued as as intelligent human beings you know they stay home they have the kids they take care of the families and men don't necessarily stick around. Hmm. Either they pass away, which is heartbreaking, or they just move on because they somehow they don't have that thought process that they need to stay here and support their families. I'm not sure where that message got, got lost in their culture. Right. But then you've got the women who, of course, biologically give birth, and so they are responsible for now their families so they can't go to finish education right right so and for the listeners our podcast is about the arts and we're going to twist this around to the arts and and what i found very fascinating is the products that linda sells are very artistic in nature and i was fascinated by the design and the craftsmanship um, and how original it is and how unique it is and, and different from what we see here in America as far as like 
our craftsmen and our artisans here in America. And so I want to talk specifically about Circle of Hands and where it is today. Um, you've given the history about how you met Lillian and decided you were going to do something more. And let's talk about what that is. So our relationship is, is of course, we're friends, but we're also business partners. And I also mentor her. Um, and I take that very seriously. Um, and oftentimes we'll have a conversation where I have to tell her, okay, I'm going to stop being your friend right now and I'm going to be the angry customer. I'm going to put that, a different hat on because this is the message I'm getting from my customers and you need to hear some feedback. Mm. Um, and so I just tell it like it is because honesty will get you far. And she needs she doesn't have direct contact with the American customer base but I do so it's I'm sort of in the middle and I need to uh, communicate to her what they want but I want to respect the tradition and the styles and the colors of her her land you know her history right so these women so we I mentioned in the intro that the your business creates sustainable accessories you said and jewelry handbags can you tell me a little bit more about what, what, what is it that you sell so the materials, because the Educate program teaches the kids to go to their communities and use what's in the community to uh, meet the challenges in their communities in unique ways. So this country doesn't have a lot of manufacturing, but they have a lot of materials that go to waste. So um, Lillian gathers the, the papers in her communities or even buys them at the local market because there is a market for used paper, believe it or not, um, and also fibers that grow on the trees in the jungle, um, banana fiber leaf, um, palm leaf, what other, recycle plastic bags, for instance. Um, so they use what's in their immediate surroundings, and Lillian learned how to make this craft from her cousin and wanted to empower the women to earn an income. So part of her educating the ladies about life skills or health education, but also a skill that they can then earn an income from. Like a trade skill. Yes. They start their own businesses. Okay. They don't necessarily make the products, actually. They'll learn how to make the products, but they'll go off and they'll make their own business, like um, opening up a vegetable kiosk or hairdressing salon or a restaurant or a tailoring shop, which I've seen that journey happen over these seven years since I started, which is something I never expected. But it's based on using materials that are already there. So what are the, some of the things that, you, that these women create that you sell through your company? So the jewelry, self-explanatory, necklaces, bracelets, uh, earrings, but also um, handbags, coin purses, wristlets. And then we also have banana fiber baskets, um, pencil cups. They use recycled plastic bags to make baskets and pencil cups. Which, when people realize what they are, they never guess what they are. And and oftentimes people look at the paper beads and they don't know what they are either. After buying the product, and I go, you you do realize this is made of paper? And they're like, what? They're not shells? No, they roll up the paper, and they say, well, what do they color them with? And I said, they don't use paint on their beads because they just the paper is beautiful and it's art and it could be hung up on the wall even so there's no need to color the, the paper that's just another material that's unnecessary it's, it's an expense that's not necessary did I answer your question I think so yeah and that's what <laughs> I that's what I found most fascinating was that um, mm. these paper beaded jewelry so for the listeners will you explain just a real briefly how like I saw a handbag, I saw a necklace, and I thought the same thing. I thought these are shells of some kind. And I'm like, oh, this is a shell that's indigenous to Uganda. And that's not the case at all. It's made from paper. So can you kind of give a little rundown of how this exquisite handbag or whatever is made from paper? Okay, so they take the paper. They slice it into a long, skinny triangle, um, depending on the shape of the bead. Um, they start from the wider end, and around a needle or a toothpick, they roll the paper to the narrow end, they glue it, they string the beads on, on string, and they hang it usually from the trees or a doorway, 
and then they paint five coats of a non-toxic varnish, which takes several days because you need to make sure the varnish dries in between each coat. Then they gather all the different beads and all the different um, shapes and sizes and colors and separate them out and then whatever material or whatever style of product they want to create, they then put it together and stitch so, it together. <laughs> so they hand so they hand stitch the beads together? The hands to, it's everything is handmade. handmade. There's nothing there's a foot treadle I think that's how you say it. <laughs> Sewing machine. Okay. But that's the only machinery that's used in the mm. in the process of all of this. So you have a necklace or a bracelet that might be, you know, tens of beads up to a handbag that's several hundred or several thousand beads. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. How long do the women spend, do you think, making the average, like, handbag, for example? Okay, so a handbag, at least eight hours. Hmm. But it's very hard to quantify. If, if, if you ask me how much time do they spend making this purse, because the beads, there's so many different steps, hmm. and they don't do it all in one stretch. Sure, sure. They're working out of their homes, which is healthier and safer, right, because they don't have to commute anywhere. Right. They have to be able to watch their toddlers. They're cooking, they're cleaning. Uh, they're walking to the well a couple miles away, walking back with the heavy water bottles on their heads. So I've struggled with trying to figure out how many hours it takes to make a product. Um, it's just not that, it's not an easy answer. Right. And a lot of people ask me. <laughs> <laughs> because here in, the, here in the West, we quantify everything by how long did it take? What's the value? Because the, there's a certain value per hour. Right. And so I see how that's really difficult to quantify but you, you said earlier about the color so all the products they're not painted or dyed special that's the color of whatever it is so the color of the paper yes is what turns out to the color of the product which it leads me to a, a challenge um, in this business among a lot of other challenges but colors are not always available right but the fashion world seems to revolve around fall colors spring colors right. pantones and I've learned that I have to be more cognizant of that and request certain colors. Mm. But it's not, that doesn't mean I'm going to get the colors that I think are going to be popular. Right. So there's a higher risk in this type of business because what I think is popular or attractive might not be for another few more, more months or six months or a year. Right. Or never. So it's kind of a risk. Like if I want a pink purse, the odds of there being enough pink paper to make a purse are just whatever comes along and the stuff that they've recycled. Yeah, and there's a lot of, of different pinks, right. right? Right. And blues. And even though we all speak English, there's definitely a communication gap. It's almost like she, she's very computer literate, so I'll often say, you know, look up what neutral means. Okay. Because I actually had to ask her the other day, do you understand when I, what I mean when I say a neutral color? And she said, not really. Can you be more specific? And I try to be specific, but there's always a way to misunderstand words. Right, right. Um, I send back a lot of pictures. So without the electronics of today, this job would be impossible. Hmm. Yeah. So you communicate with Lillian through Skype? Skype, WhatsApp on our phones, okay. which blows me away. I could be <laughs> sitting here in a coffee shop at noon and it's 10 o'clock at night in Uganda and I'm sure. actually talking to someone over there and in the beginning it was it blew my mind do you think that from the women's perspective who make this this craft or even from your perspective did you see it as artwork do you think they see it as artwork when they make it oh, that's a really good question I definitely see it as artwork I remember seeing it for the first time on one of Educate's volunteers around her neck I thought they were shells and she said, no, it's paper. And I was just taken aback by it. And I thought, I thought I have decent taste. And I like, I'm a shopper. I'm a customer. How hard can it be to sell something that I think is beautiful? Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I've learned a lot since then. <laughs> but but uh, cause there's a lot more, obviously, that goes in behind in the psychology of a buyer. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, but I absolutely believe it's it's artwork. And people will come up to me at my booth and they'll say, well, you know, which necklace do you like or which color goes better? And I stand there and I just shake my hand. I go, how can I, 
I love all of this. This is why I sell it. I really, I guess I would pick this one because it goes with your hair. But honestly, I am not the one to ask, and I feel kind of bad about that. <laughs> so, from a fashion perspective, they're very. Some of it's very fashionable, and and your goal is to trying to follow, especially here in the West, trying to follow fashion trends for colors and styles that people here in America might be interested in certain times of the year. And I haven't been focusing on that as much, and I probably should. Okay. Well, then let's get into some lessons. You said you've had to learn a lot on this process. <laughs> Before we talk about some of the trials, let's talk about a couple of the successes. Successes. Yes, we're members of the Fair Trade Federation. That was a huge hurdle. First deciding if I wanted to become a member, what it meant, and then filling out the application, which was about 20 pages, short answer. And it took me a couple of years to fully grasp the principles of fair trade, to be able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Lillian is following those principles, mm -hmm. being so far away from me, I had to make sure that she understood what those principles were. So that was a huge um, undertaking. And I felt like I received the key to this, the castle when I was approved. Because mm -hmm. it was just, it opened up so many doors. Yeah. And a world of other retailers and other importers of fair trade goods and just ways of, of me gaining more knowledge from people who've already done what I, what I am doing. So it's, I like learning from other people and that was just a huge resource for us. Mm -hmm. Other successes, oh. I we recently went to my first wholesale trade show in New York City. I don't think you knew that no. in early February. No, how was that? Amazing, huge learning experience. You know, I didn't come away with, you know, 50 orders, but I didn't expect it either. But it was a time for me to learn. And I learned from another Ugandan woman who designs products and then has her products made in Kenya and Uganda. We shared a booth. Um, but after the show, I was approached by an e-commerce site called To The Market, and they curate um, products such as mine from different countries around the world mm. and they've accepted me on their site and that I think is a huge well it's, it's it's a positive outcome from that show but also something I never expected okay you say you've learned a lot of lessons talk about a challenge that you've had that's that that um, you didn't think you're going to overcome that you're able to overcome so understanding the marketplace mm -hmm. was a, is a huge challenge. Understanding how to manage people, not having a business major or a finance background or even a managerial position in my life, except for two kids and a husband and some dogs and cats. I've had to learn a lot. And I tell people that it's been a real world MBA, mm. which has made it all the more exciting and fun for me because frankly, I don't like being a student in school. <laughs> I'm not good at passing tests and writing papers. But what I am good at is talking to people, asking questions, listening, and being inspired by other people's stories. So I, that's what I harness to keep moving forward. So that's what excites me, really. So, I, and I find that very interesting because we're like, this is definitely within the fashion realm of what Crave covers. And in talking with fashion designers, a lot of fashion designers, and I think artists in general have that same problem where they're focusing on their craft and they don't have the experience in business. And so it's talking to someone who's a business person and let somebody else handle the artwork, if you will, or handle the fashions, if you will. You're focusing on the business side of it. So it's, I think it's a very interesting perspective that you can share with artisans on how to become better at business. And so... That being said, what's one of the things you just really love about what you do? Inspiring people. I never expected people to say, you know, I met you three years ago and this is why I started my nonprofit. Just knowing that through a conversation, maybe a 20 minute conversation, somebody is off doing, building a school in a small town in Uganda. Hmm. Um, I've had so many surprises like that. I never expected people to say that I was an inspiration. Wow, that's great, isn't um, it? That it's good? amazing. It's amazing on a, so many levels. 
you talked earlier about the skills that the women like may not even make these bags anymore or they started out maybe making the bags but then they've taken what they've learned and started a different business can you talk about one of those instances that has happened because that to me that seems really inspiring oh absolutely we'll take rose for example okay when i first met her in 2011 she was using one of those foot treadle sewing machines on a porch next to a very dusty road she was taking scraps of fabric from the clothing that she made for the people that purchased from her. And then she would take the scraps and she would make handbags or coin purses or wallets. And at the end of every day, she would store her materials in these large plastic bins and ask the business whose porch she was quote unquote renting from if she could store her materials there. I come back two years later and she proudly shows me this, her tailoring shop that she rents it's three feet wide by 12 feet deep, and you can barely fit two people side by side in this little shop. But and on the wall, she has pictures of styles, of shirts and pants and dresses. And on the other wall, she has samples of fabrics. So you can go in and say, I want this style and this fabric. And she couldn't be more overjoyed to have this business that's hers. Hmm. And I sat down and I said to her, because we were both now starting our little businesses sort of side by side, and I said, what is the next step for you? And she said, I would like to hire more women that are part of the initiative to help me sew my goods. And I said, well, that's great. Do you see any problem, any challenges with that? And she said, well, they don't do the, qu the quality of work that I do. And I looked at her and I smiled and I said, welcome to my world. <laughs> you are learning true business skills. And it was kind of an aha moment that, that they, are having this, they are having the same situations and challenges that we have here. Like it's no different. Hmm. How, how has this affected other areas of your life? Like people start businesses all the time and I think that your business is in many ways different because you are not only impacting your surrounding community here but you're also having a huge impact on people halfway around the world so knowing that how does that affect you on a personal level or on a, on a like a local level I asked my daughter earlier today because I needed some advice because I knew I would be tasked with answering these heavy-duty questions and she said that me starting this business in 2010 brought an awareness of the global community and giving back to others the importance of that to the family. And to your immediate family. To my so immediate family, which is huge. Sure. Because I had no idea what impact this was going to have on the kids at all. I had no imp idea of the impact it would have on my friends or people I talk to about what I do, but it's, it's an unusual thing, which I find exciting because then it's an open door for me to talk to people, answer any questions they have about the people over there, my experience, their experience, the culture, the history. It gives me a spring in my step. Hmm. I have a purpose every day, and I have ideas coming out of every pore of my body on how I can sell their products in unconventional ways. I don't want to do it the way other businesses are doing it, the mainstream ways. I want to go through the back door. Okay. And it's the big challenge here, and it goes back to that other question is how, what does that look like and how can I get there? And I'm still trying to figure that out. I see, okay. Well, let's go a little deeper into like the philosophy side of it. Because philosophy? You, <laughs> well, you talked about how the impact of the women, and you talked about how in Uganda, they have a belief very different from here in the West that doesn't value women. I think I'm, women and men are not seen as being equal creatures. Correct. Why should we care about that here in the West? If that is their culture that's existed for thousands of years, why, should, why, why, is it, why are we changing that? What's wrong with that? Well, look where it's leading them. They, they've got an untrustworthy government, rampant disease, right? Rampant poverty. Something's got to change. But we can't go in there and say this is what needs to happen. It has to come from them. Mm -hmm. So it aligns with my parenting. I give the tools 
for their toolboxes. And what they do with it is what they choose to do. And that's my philosophy right there. It, when I give Lillian the skills that she needs to start to, to create a business from, from a, a Western philosophy, I guess, then she turns around and she also is able to share what she's learned on the business side, but the Ugandan business side, obviously, mm -hmm. because their society is a little bit different. Do you think that it's an awareness issue where, like, their culture has been, this is the culture for so long, they didn't even aware that there's other possibilities. They weren't even aware that, wow, yes. women are just as intelligent as men, just as capable as men. Yes. They're just human beings, and they have, they should have the same rights as every other human being. But they, for so long, didn't think that was even possible because they didn't even have an awareness around it. And so you, you are providing an awareness to something that can help them in their lives improve or be better? When I got back from Uganda in 2011, I did a lot of thinking for the, the first few months because obviously when I look out my window, it's a very different view than when they look out their windows. And I wondered if I had been born there, what would I think? Would I have motivation to change the, my circumstances? Would I want to change my circumstances? Would I have the confidence to be able to? Would I have the vision? And I realized that growing up here, everything we know we've learned. And so if I didn't learn that I can learn, mm -hmm. go to school and read, then I would, maybe I would have been born in Uganda thinking, well, this is it. This is, this is my life. This is what I do. This is all there is. This is all there is. And I wonder what kind of person I would be. Now, Lillian was born there and she sees so much more. So I think these women need to know that they are capable, probably more capable because they see the totality. They, they create the families, they sustain the families. They see what needs to be done for the families and future generations mm -hmm. of men, let's just say, or the, the caretakers of the families. They see the need of their children, they see the need of their communities. They have to make the change, because if they don't, who will? Right. So someone like me goes in there and, and says, well, this is what you need, let's see if what you have already on hand can be used to get you what you need. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I think the awareness happened both sides. You know, here in the West, we're, very, we're extremely privileged. And like you said, we learn everything we know. There's nothing really instinctual in our lives other than, you know, like breathing and eating. We know we have to eat and breathe, but we were also taught how to eat. So And what to eat. And what to how eat. How to be healthy. <laughs> right. And so that was all learned from our parents in our community where the, what they learned from their parents in the community, it sounds like women are subservient, women are less than men, blah, blah. And there's no world outside of that. And so, it sounds like someone like Lillian, did she, like she experienced, she came to the United States or did she, no, the education never. program was taken to her. Taken and so someone her. said, hey, here's some other options for you. Is that, I mean, that's basically it, right? And so she had a greater awareness of, I don't have to have six kids and be abandoned by my husband who got AIDS or disappeared or whatever. There's other things that are possible. And so her awareness grew and she spread that to other women and then you came along in East meets West. Yeah. She had the structure of her initiative where she teaches what I, or you know, the health education and the trade skills. And I just wanted to partner with her to help create a sustainable income for the initiative to support those services to the women. Right, right. Which is, a real, I think, a very simple <laughs> business model. <laughs> and uh, I can't, I don't want complication in my thought processes, especially when I talk to people about what I do, why I do it, where it came from, because I don't think I'm a very deep person necessarily, and I don't have all those degrees hanging on my wall, but it doesn't take a, a, sign, you know, a, a brain surgeon to figure out ways of helping others. Right. And there's, when there's so much need in the world, it's hard to focus and choose where you want to put your energies and your time and your money. And I think people just have to take the step to find what touches their hearts to be able to find that passion. Sure. Now, on a totally side note, my dad grew up in South Africa 
And maybe I've always had a connection with that continent. I don't know. You know, I've, I've heard the, the accents. I've met his friends and family. I've been to South Africa. I, I'm not sure how that translated. Right, right. How all those little pieces of that puzzle kind of came into line to where I am today. And I'm not sure. Well, you, you mentioned something that usually on this podcast, I ask about the arts and why we should care about the arts. And we're talking about this organization, or the, we're talking about this business that you have that works with the Ugandan women to create fashion, which is art. Um, but in this case, I want to ask the question differently. And it's easy to see, we talked earlier, it's easier to see like pictures on the TV or internet or whatever of starving children and third world conditions or whatever, but it's a disconnect, um, I think, for most people, especially if you've never traveled to a place that has that. Why do you think that we should care about helping other people and helping other communities in other places of the world, especially when we have our own problems here in America? That's a really good question as well. And it's something I thought about long and hard before I committed to this. You know, I, I could just as easily do something for a community here in my town, closer, easier to visit, you know, right. uh, can see them on a daily basis. But there's need everywhere. And what makes them any less entitled to assistance? I, I don't know. I, I don't even know if I can answer that question, honestly, because it's, it's almost a philosophical question. Sure. Um, well, why, do you, why do you help? Why do I help? Because I can, especially after meeting them. So many things have surprised me along the way. So when I chose this community, and it wasn't until I sat down and looked them in the eyes and held their hands and listened to their stories and realized that we're all women and we're all people that I just became more passionate and more determined to make a difference somewhere. And everybody needs it. And sure. people just need to pick one. So whether it's helping at your local community food bank or being able to help people halfway across the world pick something and, and lend a hand? Absolutely. Kind of That's what you're saying? I had a booth at the Denver Pride Fest, and I would get a lot of questions, you know, because Uganda is famously anti-gay. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, why do you do this out of that country? And I said, well, I'm standing here and I'm talking to you about this, about these women, and I'm educating you about these women who have been negatively affected by HIV and AIDS. It's called education. And if I'm educating you about them, I'm also providing education for them and how, how can we make positive change in the world if there is an education and conversation? And just because the government feels a certain way about that issue doesn't mean 99% of the rest of the population agrees with that. And it's cultural. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take time to change. And it's going to take generations to change. But does that mean that I walk away from the people who didn't ask to be in that situation? Right. We're here at the Denver Pride Fest. Why? Because we're educating people. If you went and, and hid in a corner, then you're that part of that, that community would be misunderstood. Right, right. Or never in out this, in the open. In this case, just like the gay community was misunderstood, they, festivals have grown up around to try to educate people in the same way that you got in women in culture was misunderstood. Right, and so you're educating people on, hey, here's a, here's people that need help, and here's a way we can help them. That's that's sustainable, and it's a practice that will give them a better future and give their children a better future. Yeah. Okay. That's. And if we I mean, want powerful, that's if we want to eradicate AIDS, let's say, for instance, poverty, you can't just turn your back on it. You have to you have to learn about it. You have to have a vision. And then you have to see it to the end. Right. Like overcoming poverty isn't just like, here's a whole bunch of food. It's no. goes back to, I mean, it goes back to like teaching a man how to fish versus giving him fish. I was just about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say that. Well, let me ask you this then. Being an artistic podcast and dealing with a lot of artists, a lot of artists aren't business people. And so I'm sitting here talking to someone who's a business person. What do you think holds, not only artists, but people in general, what do you think holds them back from becoming professionals or just 
even becoming the best artist or best business person they can be, the best person they can be? What holds people back? Probably being too narrow-minded, not asking for help, not seeking out mentors. Um, but what if they say, well, I'm, I'm happy with my head in the sand. I'm happy being where I am. I'm content. It, it all depends on what they want. Do they want to become a, a, a successful business person? If they're happy doing what they're doing, then, then that's great for them. And if that's their, that's their choice, then there's nothing anyone should be able to say about them. No judgments. Mm-hmm. But if they want to have a huge business and they don't have those skills, then they need to be able to be humble enough to go ask for some guidance. Mm. So seeking help. Absolutely. It's the same way these women didn't know and they became educated in trade skills and then also in business skills. We who are artists should seek that same help to become not only better artists, but better in the business of sharing our art with the world. One of the things I've learned that if you have a business, hire the people the professionals that are good at what they do. So let's say if I was an artist, which I'm not sadly, and if I wanted to have a bigger business, I would probably, I would think, I would hope that I would hire someone whose business acumen is way more than mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I know how to do it. It's not necessarily, I know I'm able to follow through to the end. But sure. If I had the means, I would hire the people that knew what to do to get me where I needed to be. Right. So I could do my work, my art, that makes me happy and feeds my soul. Whereas the person that's in that profession does what they're good at and hopefully feeds their soul. Right. And together we could make it successful. There's a feed your soul. That's a... <laughs> that's what? one of my things. Feed your soul with art. That's the Crave slogan. Slogan. Oh. I no, think I knew great. that once. No, it's great. I'm glad you threw that out there. Oh. And there's a, there's a story that made me think of about Henry Ford, how he famously doesn't know anything about how to build a car. And so they took him to court saying, how could you be a successful car manufacturer? You don't know anything about how to build an engine. Like, and you're here telling everybody that they should buy your cars. And he said that he hires the best people that he can. He hires the engineers that know how to build a car. And I think that's very true for Elon Musk. I mean, He's a little different. He maybe does know how to build a rocket, but he hired the best people that, to build solar panels and to build electric cars and to build space rockets. And so we, not, we may not be able to afford to hire a, a rocket scientist, but you can afford to hire somebody or surround yourself with people or even get education from somebody who's an expert in the field that you want to become better in. Exactly. Correct? Yeah. Exactly. Let me ask you this. If you had 60 seconds with your 20-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give? And would you listen to yourself? Find what you love and do it to the best of your ability. But also, it gets better because it's not easy growing up. Right. You don't know who you are. Right. You don't know, you don't know how you want to present yourself to the world. It took a long time for me to sort of find my voice and decide what kind of person I wanted to be and what kind of values I held dear and you go through struggles and it makes you who you are and then you choose to you choose the values you wish to then instill upon your children and so looking back at that 20 year old you'll find your way it might take you 20 years longer than you'd expect and you might have a very serpentine like path but you'll end up where you need to be when you need to be there. That's what I tell my kids. Hmm. Do you think they're listening to it? Probably not. <laughs> no, <laughs> they won't. Your mom, your parents. They're so not listening to the podcast, <laughs> but they're they certainly hear the message. Sure, sure. I've stopped having expectations of what life is supposed to look like. When I grew up, and I'm okay, somewhere around fifty-ish. <laughs> you know, it was. Graduate high school, you go to a good college, you get a job. You fall in love, you get married, you buy a house, you have a kid. Well, it's that's a great um, goal, but sometimes those pieces fall in, into different slots. And I don't want to limit my kids to believing that their life should be a certain way at a certain time. There's... 
so many different things you can do in life, so many different places you can live, so many ways you can help people, so many ways you can um, affect your community. And the privilege of us here in this country having that choice is exciting. And I hope that people realize that we have that luxury and that we can affect change anywhere, anytime, anyhow. And then when you see the fruition, when, it, when, when your goals are finally met or you, you see the change happening that you never expected, because I never sat seven years ago and looked ahead seven years. So when I have news from Lillian of, of all these different businesses opening and, and the babies that are healthier and that are being fed three meals a day when, when they weren't before, it's eye-opening and... Um, I just never expected. And so the life lesson I, I was thinking about um, earlier today is have low expectations so that when things do start happening, it will blow your mind. It's kind of like in business as well, under promise and over deliver. I was very, you said to have low expectations and that seems so counter to what everybody says, but then you shifted it with the under promise and over deliver. If I had high expectations, I don't know that I would have come this far. I would have made mistakes and then I would have been depressed about it and I would have focused on the mistakes. I take it one day at a time. I learn every day from different people, from my mistakes, um, from my successes. I feel it's a privilege to be able to create a business in that way. Mm. It's not the business school model, but it's my way and it works. Works for me. Takes the pressure off. That's most important that it works. Yeah. And it blows open those doors and those windows of creative ideas. And I know I'm doing something good for a community over there. I like that. And there's a lot of people I meet who do what I do in different ways, different business models, in different countries. And seeing that is very inspiring as well. Hmm. And we learn from each other. We have Facebook groups. We do coffees. We get together and um, have professionals come in and, and mentor us, missionaries and um, religious organizations, nonprofits, social enterprises like I am. And there's a huge Uganda supportive community in Colorado, which is shocking. So we get together in Denver every maybe a couple times a year and learn from each other what works, what doesn't work. Our challenges are all similar, which is helpful to know. Well, speaking of working, yeah, what are you working on today? What's new for 2017 or what are your plans for 2017? Well, joining the e-commerce site and having increased marketing through their avenues mm -hmm. because honestly, I can't do it all, right? We've already put that out there because I've been to my first wholesale trade show in New York in February. Mm -hmm. I, was, I made all these connections, so I'm fulfilling orders. Mm. So that's a learning process. Also, we have a rep in Canada, brand new, who actually spent time living with my partner in Uganda in the fall. So we now have a presence there, and she's getting ready for her first trade show coming wow. up this weekend. That's cool. That's expansion. That's expansion. <laughs> totally unexpected. Totally happenstance that she reached out to me, and I was able to get her over to Uganda, and she came back with the same passion I have. And she's from Toronto. And it's, it's one of those, you don't know what to expect, so just expect anything. Mm -hmm. Sure. And be open to everything. Let's talk about, as we wrap up, let's talk about um, how people can get in touch with you. So, oh. your website is? Circleofhandsuganda.com. Okay. So you can find out all about Circle of Hands there. And then you're also, you sell your products through that website, but also other marketplaces, right? Through that website primarily. Um, I used to do a lot of pop-up shops, art festivals along the Front Range here in Colorado. Um, not doing that so much, but I'm always open to doing fundraisers, partnering with schools, churches, um, really anywhere just to get the message out. Part of being a member of the Fair Trade Federation is educating the community about what fair trade means. And I take that seriously. So I'll, I'll go to business school 
um, women's clubs and just share my experience because mm-hmm. it's real world experience versus learned in a book experience. And I think it's just as valuable. But we also have Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Pinterest. So Google Circle of Hands, Uganda, and you come up everywhere. Absolutely. And you mentioned To The Market. Is that a place where, or is that a retail site that people can go to? Yes. Tothemarket.com? Yes. Okay. Will you explain to the audience what fair trade is? Fair trade. There are about nine principles, and they revolve around paying a fair wage for fair work, being transparent with your suppliers, not using or abusing child labor, um, providing safe work environments, making sure that the materials in the products don't come from mass production in unnamed large countries (laughs) where a lot of our stuff comes from. It's also enabling the artisans to create their own businesses, to create their own sustainable businesses that will, you know, hopefully support their communities and then that they learn how to advocate with their communities, in their communities for more improved, healthier environments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is there any last bits of advice or thoughts that you want to share with the, with the listeners? Know where your products come from. Know where your dollars are being spent. Know where those pennies are ending up at the end of the supply chain. Hmm. Um, because it's a, it's a story that needs to be told and needs to be learned. And, and there's a lot of people willing to talk about it. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Really Jim. appreciate it. I hope I answered your question. You were great. Thank you. <laughs> All right, another great Crave podcast. Many thanks once again to Linda Shutter for her thoughts on business and the arts, her wisdom, and all the work she is doing with Circle of Hands Uganda. The music for this podcast was provided by Ugandan artist Winnie Nwagi. Uh, the song is Olaba Otia, and check that out on iTunes. Her name again is Winnie Nwagi. We are so thrilled to have that music on our podcast. Thank you for listening to the Crave Magazine podcast. I am Jim Wills, your host and producer for this episode, and I am on a mission to bring art back to the world. With your help, we can make that happen. So please take a moment to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. And if you like what you heard, even more importantly, tell your friends. If there's something that we can do better, by all means, let us know. And if you are an artist or even just want to hear from a favorite artist, well, send us a message. We are putting this show out for all of us who love and appreciate the arts. So tell us how we can improve. Remember... Always be good to one another, and of course, take time to feed your soul with art.